0: morning church. I'm going to need a little bit of participation today. So uh, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to need you to raise your hand. And so the question is, when you were in school, did you like taking tests? If you like taking tests, go ahead and raise your hand. We got anybody out there? Oh my gosh. All right. So for those of you who didn't like taking tests, go ahead and raise your hand. All right. About half of you. So then uh, the other half of you... Makes sense that you didn't like taking tests, you just failed this one. Uh, (laughs) But actually, uh, I was one of the lucky ones because I liked taking tests, especially in high school, I didn't get too anxious with taking tests, and if you know anything about me, I'm super competitive. I mean, I'm I'm absolutely super competitive, and so we would not only in, in my class try and get the best grade, we also tried to be the first one done. And when there's only 11 in your graduating class, you have a pretty good chance of being one of the first ones done. And so uh, I l- liked taking tests, but to do well on tests, I needed it to be quiet. I like taking tests in silence, but it always seemed like we'd have someone in the back who sounded like they're breathing out of a gas mask. You probably remember this person. The <laughs> that was actually normally me in class. Uh, Or you would have, you know, the nervous Nellie in the front row. You know, they would be chomping on their pencil like a beaver making so much noise. I just, I, I can't take tests unless it's silent. I need it to be silent to do well on a test. But that's school and not life. What about life? When you're in the middle of a test in life, do you like when God is silent? I had one of our teenagers, he showed me this picture about a month ago. It's up on the screen, but it says this. It says, when you are going through something hard and wonder where God is, remember the teacher is always quiet during a test. And I love that quote because it's a reminder that there are going to be moments in our lives where God is silent. It's what many Christians throughout the centuries have called the dark night of the soul, where God seems silent silent but if i'm honest that doesn't really help me that much because i don't like when god is silent i want him to speak but sometimes he doesn't sometimes god is silent so in those moments how can i worship god in those moments how can you worship god and for the answer we're going to find that in psalm chapter 28. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Right in the middle, probably somewhere will be Psalm chapter 28. And once you turn there, we'll also have it on the screen. But once you turn there, I want to draw your attention to our stage decor over on stage right. Our kids have been helping us decorate for this sermon series and they have been doing a great job. So tell them thank you. Um, But we are in this sermon series called Bodies That Worship. And we've been talking about how we can use our bodies, all of our bodies, all of our body parts to worship God. And so we've talked about how to worship God with our eyes and our heart and our mouths. And today we're going to be talking about how can we worship God even when he's silent with our hands. And we find that in Psalm 28. And we'll see that there's three sets of hands in Psalm 28. The hands of the righteous, the hands of the wicked, and the hands of the of the Lord. But the first is the hands of the righteous. Go ahead and look at verse 1 with me. This is Psalm 28, a Psalm of David. Remember, David is the king, and here's what he says. To you, O Lord, I call my rock. Be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. David here, he is afraid of the silence because he feels as if God is going to take him to the pit. How many of you in here just like silence in general? You know, you, you're the introverts, you're the internal processors, and so an ideal day for you is going through the day where you don't even have a single person say a word to you. There's some of you out there, you would love that, and then there's others of you who are external processors or extroverts, and you need people. That sounds like the worst day possible if no one ever talked to you. Janelle and I, my wife, we are completely different on this front. I am an external processor, and she is an internal processor. And so when we have conflict, uh, which does happen as your preacher, we do actually still have a little bit of conflict in our household. But when we have conflict, I'm an external processor, so I just want to fix it right then and there. I'm a guy. I want to fix it right then and there. Let's just get it over with. But Janelle is very much an internal processor. She needs to get away, have time, have space to just think before we hash it out. And so what ends up happening normally is, I'm, I'm a dork and I just like keep poking at her, poking at her, poking at her, trying to get her to say something and that little conflict turns into a little bit of a bigger conflict. So if your spouse is an internal processor, here's the moral of the story, give them time, give them space, give them silence. I don't know if David is an internal processor or an external processor, but one thing I do know is that he hates when God is silent. He hates when God is silent because he wonders... Has God abandoned me? He wonders if God is on his side. He wonders if his destination will be the pit. You see it there at the end of verse 1. Lest I become like one of those who go down to the pit. In the Old Testament, on the left side of your Bible, the word for pit is a synonym for the word sheol. And as you read through your Bibles, you'll see that word Sheol multiple times, and it's not quite what we think about in the New Testament when it comes to the word hell, but what Sheol is in a Hebrew's mind, it's the lowest point imaginable, and it is the home of the dead. And so David feels as if God is silent and he is going down to the place of the dead. David desperately wants to hear God, but he hears nothing. And those moments in your life when it feels like God is silent, where do you turn? Because in our moments of frustration with God, it can be so easy to turn away from Him, to turn to pointless entertainment, whether it's YouTube or Netflix or sporting events, to turn to a bottle to try and numb the pain, to turn to pornography to try and feel something to turn to deconstruction and just act as if God is no longer there. Where do you turn when God feels silent? David turns to the Lord. David turns to the Lord and he lifts up his hands even though the Lord is silent. Look at verse 2 with me. David cries out and he says, Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy. When I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands towards your most holy temple, David desperately wants to hear something, but he hears nothing. And yet he still lifts up his hands. David recognizes that only God is the one who can provide rescue. David knows that only God is the one who can provide deliverance. David knows that only God is the one who can provide the words of life that he is so desperately longing for. I'm reminded of a story in the Gospels about Jesus. It's in John chapter 6. And all the way in the Gospel of John, when you get to chapter 6, Jesus has already done some amazing things. In fact, in chapter 6, he has already walked on water in front of his disciples. And then he just fed 5,000 people. And so Jesus has a lot of people following him, probably thousands. But when you get to the end of John chapter 6, Jesus teaches this difficult teaching. He says, I am the bread of heaven. And if you want to experience life, you have to eat from me. And people were like, this is a weird teaching, and this is a hard teaching. And so it tells us that many people left him. They turned out to be fans and not followers. And so Jesus, he just has a handful left, and he looks over to his 12 disciples, and he says this in John chapter 6, verse 67. Do you want to go away as well? The door is open. Everybody else is leaving. You can go if you want to. But then Simon Peter the rock turns to his rock, Jesus, and he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter knew that he had nowhere else to turn and David in our psalm today, he knows that even if God is silent, he has nowhere else to turn. And so he lifts up his hands. What I love about this image of lifting up our hands is that it's the image of surrender. If you watch like some of those cop shows and the cops are chasing after the guys or gals and they're running, they'll throw up their hands as surrender. Put your hands up. Or or at least in our growing up with For me, I have an older brother. He's two and a half years older than me. His name is James. And pretty much anything we would do or play would end up in a wrestling match. And those wrestling matches would end up one of two ways. First, if someone started bleeding, we typically had to stop. That was the first way. And the second way, unfortunately, was when James was normally sitting on me, and I'd throw up my hands and say, I surrender, I surrender, I surrender. Throwing up our hands or lifting our hands is a moment of surrender. And if we are lifting those hands to the Lord, it is an act of profound worship. We lift up our hands. And every single one of us, we're going to have to make a decision whether or not we will lift up our hands because there are going to be moments in our life when we are frustrated with God. No matter where you are in your journey with Jesus, there's going to come a day when God does something that you don't want Him to do. Or there's going to be a moment where God does not do something that you do want Him to do. There's going to be moments when you are frustrated with God. And in that moment, will you lift up your hands and worship anyways? We lift up our hands because we trust that we have a gracious God. We have a gracious God who is willing to step down from His heavenly throne and to become like us. In every single way. That's what the word grace means. It means that God is reaching out to us. And we see that most clearly in the person of Jesus. He became like us. And then he used his hands to pick up the hurting. To heal the broken. And he used his hands and let them be nailed to a cross. To win our salvation. That's what grace is. Grace is God reaching down to us. And trust. And faith is when we lift up our hands back to Him. We have righteous hands like David, when no matter what the circumstances are, we lift up our hands to the Lord, the hands of the righteous, verses 1 and 2. But we see the second set of hands in verses 3 through 5, which is the hands of the wicked. It says this, starting in verse 3, Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward. Why? Because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the work of His hands. David here, he does not want to get swept up with the wicked, and so he prays for justice. He prays for the wicked to get what they deserve, and he prays for justice. But who are these wicked people, and why is David praying justice on them? About a month ago, I went out to... uh, camping with my aunt up by Bloomington. And while we were camping, we were talking about life and different things. And one of the things I love about my aunt Kathleen is that we can disagree about life and disagree about God. We can disagree about things and still have a cordial conversation. And as Christians, we should be able to do that to lead healthy conversations, even if we disagree with people. But anyways, she was talking and she was saying, you know what bothers me? Sometimes it seems in life like bad people, just like horrible people, prosper, you ever wondered that? Because there, there are times when it seems like bad people are at the top of the food chain. I think of people like Vladimir Putin or Adolf Hitler. They're at the top of the food chain, and they've done it through violence. Or maybe for you more personally, there's a bully at school who is just mean all the time, but everybody seems to like them. They are the popular kid or or the bully at work who's just a jerk, and yet they always seem to get the promotion. They have the nice car. They have what seems like the nice family. They have the nice house. Well, in the book of Psalms, those people are the wicked. And if you skim through the book of Psalms, all 150 chapters, what you'll see is that these wicked people are arrogant in their hearts. And they boast in themselves. They never repent. They curse and they lie. They abuse abuse God's people. They plot evil and they don't fear God. They are full of wickedness and evil. And here in our text today, they are hypocrites. They say one thing while their hearts are evil and they don't give God credit for what God deserves. They are evil and they're the model for what not to do with our hands. They're the model for what not to do for, with our hands. And so David, he prays against them, and he prays for justice. So how should we understand praying for justice in a world full of suffering on this side of the cross? Remember, we follow a crucified Savior, so how do we pray for justice? And I want to just talk about two quick things. First is that we have to remember that every single one of us, all of us, have dirty hands. We all have dirty hands. We were over at our friend's last Saturday. They live over there in Jacksonville. And they have one of the cutest, almost two-year-old boys you'll ever see in your life. Some of your grandparents are, you're disagreeing with me right now. But if I showed a picture of him right now, you'd be like, oh yeah, he's the cutest. Give him the award right now. So cute. But anyways, during dinner, he kept saying, outside, outside. Outside, he wanted to go outside and play. He loves playing with his tractors. He loves being outside. And so we finally went outside. And when we went outside, he just wanted to play in the dirt. And so he'd get down in the dirt, and with both hands, he'd grab a whole bunch of dirt, and he'd start rubbing it in his fingers, and he'd look at his mom and his dad, and he'd say, dirty, dirty, dirty. And he's more right than he may, never, may ever know. We have dirty hands. The psalmist will say later that no one is righteous, not even one. Isaiah the prophet, he says it this way in Isaiah 64 6, he says, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. In other words, all of our righteous deeds without God is like an oily shop rag. They're dirty and they're disgusting. Something or someone has to clean us up. And the psalmist knows this. David knows this. If you just look two chapters before, in Psalm chapter 26, David says this. He says, I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord. David knew that to be cleaned up, he had to go to the altar. In the Old Testament, they went to the altar But today, you and me, we go to Jesus, whose bloodied hands make our hands clean. Jesus' bloodied hands make our hands clean. And I think that's what Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 is all about. This is the Apostle Paul. He's had a radical life-transforming experience with Jesus, and he's preaching to the church in Ephesus, and he says this to them. He says, For it is by grace... You have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Remember, grace is God reaching down to us. And faith is us reaching our hands back up to God. There is nothing we can do to earn our salvation. There is nothing good we can do on our own. But Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, He makes our dirty hands clean. And once our hands are cleaned, then we can do good things for God. That's what the very next verse in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 is all about. It says, "For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do." So once Jesus has made our dirty hands clean, we can now model our lives after him and use our hands to suffer for those who need it, to help pick up the hurting and pray for those who need it. We model our lives and our hands after jesus but that's only after he's cleaned us up and so we always have to remember that at one point in our lives we had dirty hands when we think about justice that's what we need to think about first we have dirty hands but the second thing to remember is that the psalms place justice in the lord's hands the Psalms place justice in the, the the Lord's hands. David here he doesn't take vengeance into his own hands. Instead, he prays to God and for God to intervene. This is important because as you read through the Book of Psalms, what you will find is that there are some brutally honest prayers, prayers that will shock you. Like Psalm one thirty seven, the psalmist prays that his enemy's babies would be killed. Does that wake you up a little bit. That's in your Bible. And so how do we reconcile that? Well, the reality is, is that the psalmist, every single time, they are placing justice in the Lord's hands. They're not taking vengeance on their own. It's so easy for us to look at this world and see something horrible, like a child who had been molested or raped or a homeless person, something, we, to feel this compassion deep within us, to feel this sadness. And I think it's even healthy for us and God-given to go from sad to mad to have this righteous anger within us because we realize that this is not the way the world is supposed to be, that God's kingdom has not completely come on earth yet, and so there are injustices and evil, and so we should have that righteous anger within us to go from sad to mad. But we have to be careful that we don't go from sad to mad to bad to begin to combat evil with evil. We have to always remember that the Lord is the one. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He will repay evil for evil. That's up to Him and not us. And so we pray and we place justice in the Lord's hands. And that leads us into the third set of hands in this psalm the hands of the Lord. We see it at the end of verse 5. It says, Because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the work of His hands. He will tear them down and build them up no more. So David is praying and telling us that the Lord will destroy the wicked. The Lord will come and his hands will destroy the wicked. He will tear them down and build them up no more. Jesus came the first time with nails in his hands so that we could experience salvation. Jesus came with nails in his hands to show us his love and his mercy, his relentless pursuit of you and for me. But Jesus is coming again soon. And this time he won't have nails in his hands. This time he'll have a sword in his hand. And he is going to destroy all of the evil and wickedness in this world. And if you are a follower of Jesus, that is good news. Because we will live in a world without pain and sorrow, without tears and goodbyes, without bullying and sex trafficking. All of the evil in the world will be destroyed. The Lord's hands, they will destroy the wickedness of this world. But what gets me even more excited than that is the last half of this psalm, verses 6 through 9. The Lord's hands will also carry the righteous. Look at verses 6 through 9 with me. It says, Blessed be the Lord, for He has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In Him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults and with my song I give thanks to Him. The Lord is the strength of His people. He is the saving refuge of His anointed. O oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Those are some beautiful verses. But I wonder... I wonder how long has been between verse 2 and verse 6. Because in verse 2, David cries out and he says, Lord, hear the voice of my pleas for mercy. And then in verse 6, it says, He has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. How long has that been? Has that been a week? Has that been a month? Has it been a year? Has it been a decade? Has it been decades? We may never know. But what we do know is that throughout it all, David kept lifting up his hands to the Lord. J.K. Jones, he was here a couple weeks ago, and he always says this. He says, God is seldom early, but he's never late. Some of you need to hear that this morning. You've been praying for something for years. God is seldom early, but in his perfect timing, he is never Late and David, he experiences the deliverance and answer of his prayers in verse six, and so he just starts worshiping, and he calls God his strength, his shield. He says his heart is uh, finds its exulting in Him. I will sing with my song. He is my saving refuge. But I love the last image he gives us. All of those are beautiful images about how God will protect us and save us. But I love the last one. The very last line, be their shepherd and carry them forever. I'm reminded of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. If the Lord is my shepherd, if he's the one guiding me, then I have everything that I need. And Jesus comes in in the New Testament and he says these psalms, Psalm 28, Psalm 23, Isaiah 40, this shepherd imagery, it's all about me. In John chapter 10, verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd who with his hands will carry the righteous forever. I love that image. But it makes me ask the question, why would he need to? I mean, sheep have four legs, right? Why would he need to carry them? And the answer is because sheep are dumb. Sheep are some of the dumbest animals in the animal kingdom. I'll never forget, I was in 4-H growing up, and I typically showed pigs. But one of my friends, he showed a sheep, and he got $600 for it at auction. And most of my pigs only got like $375, $400. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to switch to sheep just so I can make some more money. And so I was talking to one of my best friend's dads who is, he's a big-time rancher. And I told him my plan, and he looked me straight in the eye, and he said, you do not want to do that. I said, why not? I'll make more money that way. He looked me back in the eye and he said, you do not want to do that because sheep are stupid and they will never listen to anything you say. Friends, in the Bible, more than any other animal, you and I are called sheep. Because the truth is, oftentimes, even though we have a faithful, good shepherd, we turn from him, we walk away from him, and Jesus, the good shepherd, he scoops us up. When we don't know where to go, he carries us. When we, when we feel like there's nowhere else to go, he carries us. When we hurt ourselves in a ditch, he carries us. The Lord is our good shepherd who carries us. Growing up, uh, we didn't have a whole lot of money, so we never really went on planes or anything like that, but I had one set of my parents were from Kansas. One set of my parents or grandparents were in Colorado, Denver, and another set of my parents were they're over here, grandparents are over here in Peoria. So we were driving all over the place all the time and so to get to those places we would always have to drive through the night and I would typically fall asleep. But when we would get home, I would almost always wake up. But you know what I did? I acted like I was asleep because my mom or my dad, they would come pick me up in their arms and carry me into our home. Friends, that's what Jesus wants to do to you and to me today. So my plea to you, my encouragement to you is to quit running and lift up your hands to Jesus because he wants to carry you home but we have to stop running first. We worship God by lifting up our hands to the one whose hands carry us. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for this beautiful reminder that you carry us. No matter if we don't know where to go, you'll carry us. If we hurt ourselves, you will carry us. So I pray for us as a congregation, especially for those who have never made that decision before, to stop running that they would stop running, Lord, and allow you to carry them. We love you, Lord Jesus, and thank you for all you've done for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.